Think about our Savior Jesus right now and all the harsh things He endured. He was mocked. He was spit upon. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other C's of the day hated Him. They hated Him. He spoke truth and they spoke pride. He spoke truth and they spoke selfishness. He spoke truth and they wanted their own personal agenda to covet and to crave, to exalt self. They wanted to do everything they could to bring him down because the truth offends. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. So God, we just cry out to you right now as we yield ourselves to you. God, I pray you'd speak in a mighty way right now, God. Do the work only you can do, O oh God. Move me behind the shadows of the cross, O oh God. And I pray right now, right now, that the Holy Spirit would just do a work in my heart and every heart listening at this very moment, O oh God. I ask you with fervency as we fall on the altar to you today, O oh God, as a living sacrifice. O oh God, do the work and do it now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Jude. Looking at Jude 12 through 15 today. Jude 12 through 15. And as you're turning there, we are continuing our study of battling for the truth and what it means to battle for the truth in a truthless culture, in a post-Christian, post-modern world that we live in. We must be battling for the truth. Because you and I know this, that it's the truth, the Word of God, Jesus Himself, that will set us free. The more that we bend to the culture, the more that we acquiesce to the culture, the more that we say, well, maybe God really didn't mean this, the more that we bend, buckle, and break, the more calamity we will see in our lives spiritually. There will be great great spiritual calamity when we forsake God and His Word. And so we must be a people, we will be a people that will run hard after God's glory to make much of Him for the fame of His name. And one of the ways that we do this is that we battle, we wrestle for, we grapple for the truth. And so here in today's message, the title is simply, The Traits and the Fate of Apostates. The title of today's message is simply, The Traits and the Fate of Apostates. Now, if you don't know what the word apostate or apostates means, it's simply this, someone who abandons the truth. How many people woke up today going, I can't wait to abandon the truth? Anybody? Of course not. I don't believe we intentionally set out to abandon the truth, to abandon the faith, 
to leave the faith, to say, hey, I no longer want this. I made a profession. I raised the hand, said the prayer, did the cartwheel, signed the card, got dunked, finally had the fire insurance. I get to finally collect 200 as I pass go, so to speak, on the monopoly board of life. And yet the reality is this. We see so many people after generation of generation that have done just those things, and the reality is this, they are nowhere to be found. It was all external. And there was never a real internal heart rescue, heart transformation. See, it's key that we understand what it means to apostate, abandon the truth, abandon the faith, not just for ourselves so that we will be on guard, but we got to remember, don't miss this, the enemy has come to kill, steal, and destroy. And if you are a true Christ follower today, he will do everything in his power, everything in his power to get you to abandon the faith, to abandon the truth. And so many times the ways that the enemy does this is if he can't get to you, he will get to the people closest to you to get to you. Your home, your business, your ball team, and yes, even your church. Because while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. Are you a tear or are you wheat? We're only one or the other. We're either for God or we're against him. Which one are you? Well, I pray today we will see the traits and the fate of apostates from these verses in Jude and so here's what the Word of God says in Jude, verses 12 through 15. These are spots in your love feast, the Word says. While they feast with you, don't miss that, without fear. Serving only who? Themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Wow, what a visual. Now look at verse 13 as the visuals continue. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Did you catch that? Foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness. How long? Forever. Now look at 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Him, capital H. And may God add His blessing and favor 
an exaltation to his word. You got to remember that the overarching theme of the book of Jude is simply to put the church on high alert. We must put the church on high alert is what Jude was saying there. We got to be on high alert for the apostasy that's raging around us. And we can't get caught up in it. Therefore, the goal today through this message is simply this. That each one of us, myself included, at the top of the list, matter of fact, would be on high alert regarding our own forms of apostasy. Because the reality, as I've learned in my life, is that we are all, myself at the top of the list, we are all one step from stupid. One step. One step from stupid. As pride, as insecurity, as ego, as mistrust. Fill in the blank, whatever it is in your life and my life, we're all one step from completely being stupid in the decisions that we make. And if the truth is not guiding us, and you've heard me say this so many times, how will we know what's false if we first don't know what's true as I hold up this Bible? If we're not in the Word, and the Word is not in us, the world's going to be in us, and the world is going to govern us. And yet for the true believer, our worldview will be one of this, that we always look through the lens of Scripture and everything that we say, do, and carry out in our lives. So let's look here right now together at the Word that we just read, and let's unpack this together. And let's see how Jude describes these apostates, these false teachers of his day, that we can certainly apply to our day and to be on high alert for ourselves as well. Here's what it says in verse 12a. These are spots in your love feast, while they feast with you without fear. Again, don't miss that. Serving only themselves. This is very interesting. When you read this, it says these are spots in their love feast. These spots in the original language give this connotation of a rock in the sea. You could even go deeper and say something like this, a hidden reef. See, the reality is this. We often get destroyed not by what we see, but what we don't see. We typically make dumb, stupid decisions when we are not seeing what we should be seeing. See, that's the beauty of Scripture. It illuminates. It is a bright light. The psalmist said this, I hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist said this also, that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Question for me and you today. What is lighting our path so that we can see these spots, these hidden reefs, these under the sea, under our life, if you will, jagged edges that hurt so deeply, amen? You guys ever been to the beach? Well, you go to the beach and you walk out there in the water and it's so beautiful and a sunny day and the waves are crashing and the seagulls are flying. And you begin to take a stroll out into the water and unbeknownst to you because you can't see clearly through that water at times, you step on a jagged rock. 
and you are praising Jesus. Amen? Oh, boy. It's like stepping on a Lego in the middle of the night. It's amazing what happens and what we do when we don't see what we should be seeing. So when you think about these spots, you got to remember this, that these men who come in covertly, as Jude is describing them right now, as Jude is painting the picture, he's saying this, that they wreck people's lives, that they're hidden. You don't always see them immediately for who they really are, and they reap utter destruction. Like everything they do is catastrophic. They're always the center of the drama. And yet they do so with the attempt to be covert. But we know this truth that time is the great exposer of who we all really are. We can only keep up the charade for so long. And at some point, at some point, every one of us, if we're not truly living for the Lord, we will be exposed at some point. Jude is saying, beware. He's saying, contend for the faith. Don't pretend. He says, contend. Be on your guard. Warning, warning, warning is what he's saying. Individually, in your family, and yes, even in your church. Beware. But what does Jude say about these spots, these metaphorical hidden reefs of these apostates, these false teachers that slither and wither their way into the home, the individual life in the church? Well, here he says in verse 12 again of Jude, these are spots in your love feast. What are the love feasts he's referring to? Well, we could say it something like this, that these were the first advent of the first potluck, the first dinner on the grounds, the first covered dish, 19 green bean casseroles, amen? And we know these early Christians had to be Baptist. You could even say these love feasts were the First cookie exchange. Boy, don't we love cookie exchanges, amen? Boy, I know us husbands love the cookie exchanges around Christmas. There was something unique about these love feasts. As the Christians gathered together, and when Christians gather together, it's a prime opportunity for the enemy to dial in, to missile-lock in, on where he's going to get the greatest return on his investment as he slings his fiery darts. Oh, we must be on our guard. We must beware. Because these were gatherings. There was agape love, and they wanted to share together. It's really the true church. That's what the bride of Christ does. We gather together to worship. We gather together to fellowship. We gather together to encourage one another. We gather together to disciple one another. We gather together for the glory of God. And as Jude sets this up so beautifully, he says, while they feast with you without fear. 
See, they've infiltrated your gatherings. And so many times we see this. So many times it's the least likely person you would think that would become the Judas. But we know this, there's a Judas in every crowd. Speaking of Judas, that disciple who apostated, who abandoned the faith, one man said it like this. Think about Judas, that disciple. He heard every one of Jesus' sermons and still went the way of the enemy. See, it's possible to hear the truth, and yet it's still possible to not know the truth. Remember Pilate, when he was standing in front of Jesus, he said, what is truth? When he should have asked, who is truth? Because he was standing in front of the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ and Him alone. Beware, church family. These apostates will infiltrate covertly, systematically, with a personal agenda to take you down individually, to take your family down, and again with the ultimate mission of destroying the bride of Christ. Because they feast with us, the word says here in Jude 12, without fear. There's no fear. The conscience has been seared. There's such delusion. They are so hypnotized by the enemy himself. And they have a fearless boldness. Not in a positive way. But again, because the conscience has been totally cut off, they are now willingly under the sway and doing the bidding of the enemy himself. And ultimately, why? Well, it says in the last part of the 12a verse, serving only who? Themselves. See, selfishness rules the day. In the person who is an apostate, who's looking to harm you and your family and your church spiritually, narcissism is what it's all about in their world. They're just like the enemy. Satan's the greatest narcissist there is. He wanted to be like God. He wanted the glory. He wanted the praise. And the people who work for the enemy desire the same things. They want the glory. They want the praise. They want to be patted on the back. They want the affirmation that they never received as a child. And they will do that inside your home, your church, and wherever they go. Because the enemy has so duped them into utter delusion and deception as they've been seduced that they've exchanged the truth of God for the lie and do not hunger for God's glory, but they hunger for their own glory. Because all of us know this deep truth, I know I do, that selfishness in the little things typically leads to selfishness in the big things. Selfishness in the little things typically leads to selfishness in the big things. And don't miss this, church, that we will begin, we will begin 
to do things for the enemy without fear when we begin to take our eyes off Christ and put our eyes on the enemy of self as we hunger and thirst and we covet and we crave. James tells us this, where do wars and fights come from among you? You covet and crave and you do not have. He says, where there's envy and self-seeking, confusion, and every evil thing are there. Every evil thing. He says in that same passage that when you seek self, it's demonic. And as we've talked before, all the way back in 1 Samuel 15, when Saul was rejected as king, the word was spoken so powerfully that his disobedience was as rebellion. And rebellion in the eyes of the Lord, disobedience in the eyes of the Lord is as witchcraft. Wow, what a picture. The sin and the idolatry of Saul's heart is wickedness before the Lord. And it's the same when you and I, when I disobey, when you disobey, when I seek self, when I seek the idols of my own heart, when you seek the idols of your own heart, we are rebelling against God. We're saying, God, you're not enough. And I want something more. And yet what we don't understand is there, there's not anything more. It's Christ or nothing. Those are the two options. Now remember all the way back from verse 4. Remember this, that these apostates, they creep in unnoticed. Don't miss that. It's slow. It's methodical. It's deliberate. As they infiltrate, as they slither in, in this covert behind-the-shadows manner with their metaphorical infrared cameras on to hopefully not be found out of who they are. See, that's why key number one, you have to write this down in your notes. I pray you do right now. Write it down. Key number one, as I battle for the truth, I must be on my guard regarding the selfishness and covertness of apostates. Let me say that again. Key number one, write it down in your notes right now. As I battle for the truth, and I pray that's everyone listening right now, I must be on my guard regarding the selfishness and covertness of apostates. Remember, apostates, they serve the devil. They're, that's their father. He's the father of all lies. You've got to remember this, who they've come from. Listen closely, these folks, these folks will tell you and I whatever we want to hear with the aim to get whatever they want. It's always selfishness, it's always self-agenda, and they will tell us whatever we want to hear. They will flatter, they will praise us, especially in front of other people. But again, behind the scenes, there's a plan being unfolded. And once they get what they really wanted... Once they destroy lives, once they have that sneer and that cunning grin as they chuckle 
that they pulled the wool over someone else again. For you and I, that they've been praising and flattering and telling us whatever we want to hear, they will drop you and I like a bad transmission. I mean, they will drop you in a heartbeat. They will drop me in a heartbeat. That's why warning, warning, warning to be on my guard for the apostates. You and I, warning, warning, warning. We must be on our guard for these apostates. But also for the selfishness and the covertness of our own souls. We must be self-aware. We must see us for who we really are. I must see me for who I really am and my struggles and my strife and the difficulties and my challenges. I must see me through a truth lens because no one lies to me more than I lie to me. No one lies to you more than you lie to you. That's why we got to walk in truth. It's the mirror. It's the law, it's the master, it's a school teacher that as we look into it, we see how fallen and broken we really are. Therefore, we now look to Christ. It points us to Christ. It says, look, you can't accomplish this in your own strength, on your own merit. You have to accomplish this only in one way, and there's only one door, and his name is the door, and his name is Jesus. Think about Hebrews. Write it down. Hebrews 12. Great supporting text. Hebrews 12. Write this down. Verses 1 through 2. Listen closely. Probably many of you have this one memorized or cross-stitched on a pillow at your house somewhere, I'm sure. Here's what the Word of God says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Did you catch that? When the writer of Hebrews says, let us, this is not a suggestion. Hey, if you get around to it, if you feel like it, if you're bored, if you got some extra time in your day, it's not what he's saying. He's saying, lay aside every snare. Lay aside all the sin that so easily besets and does the ensnaring. Lay aside every weight that's so cumbersome. And let us do what? Let us run with endurance the race that was set before us. Again, not a suggestion, it's a command. Let us run with endurance. Not a sprint. Not 40 yards, not 100 yards. This is a marathon that will last your entire life. you got to pace yourself as you abide in Christ, as you're anchored to Him, as you rest in Him. Let us run with endurance. We don't bend, we don't buckle, we don't break, we don't give up, we press on. No matter how much the enemy presses in on you and me, we press deeper into Jesus. Because the text goes on and says right here in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. See, he's the beginning of our faith and he's the ender of our faith. And he's everything in between. He's the first and he's the last. He's the alpha and he's omega. And oh, by the way, what does the text say even further there from Hebrews 12, 1 through 2? 
for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This is so incredible. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What in the world is he talking about here? See, when you are contending for the faith, you will endure the hardships. You will endure the suffering because you know that obedience to God outweighs everything in this life because it's going to give you true joy and contentment and peace. If you're obeying self, if you're working for the enemy today, you're going to end up on a cul-de-sac going nowhere. And if you don't repent, you're going to end up eternally separated from God forever. And that's why I said... Lay aside every weight. Lay aside every sin that so easily ensnares us. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. Question. How much sin does it take to make us sinful? You ever thought about that? How much sin does it take to make me sinful? How much sin does it take to make you sinful? See, we are to cast off all of our sin. I mean cast it off, heap it, throw it, get rid of it with a vengeance and a fury. Don't take it out of the backyard and bury it. Don't do that. I know my weakness, and I'm sure you have the same weakness. If we take it out in the backyard and bury it, here's what we'll do. We'll go out there in the middle of the night when no one else is looking and get a flashlight and try to find it, won't we? No, take it down to the city incinerator and burn it. Cast it off. Have nothing to do with it any longer. Otherwise, it will ensnare and if it ensnares, we're not going to be contending for the faith. We will be pretending for the faith. And if we're not careful, we can begin to work for the enemy and do his bidding, even unwittingly. Because now we're no longer walking in truth. We're walking in darkness. We're not walking in light. We're not walking in holiness. We're walking in deception and delusion. As we've been seduced. And the enemy is now using us for his praise, for his glory. Think about verses 12b through 13. What does Jude say? 12b through 13. These are other traits that he describes these apostates by. Look in your Bible. Here it is. These are clouds without water. Interesting carried about by the winds. Quite a picture he's painting here. Late autumn trees without fruit. Hmm. Twice dead. Pulled up by the roots. 
Look at 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Wow, oh wow. Wandering stars, for whom, don't miss this church, is reserved the blackness of darkness. How long? Forever. Four powerful visuals Jude gives us here. Four powerful visuals of what apostates look like. Again, here's number one. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds. Here's the visual. What are clouds without water? Think about it. Not a trick question. What are they? Well, they're empty. Clouds without water are empty. There's no rain. They're carried by the winds. They just kind of float around, blown and tossed to and fro. And because they're empty, as the Word of God says, we'll be blown and tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What's number two? Well, they're late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. Not once dead, but twice. Pulled up by the roots. What's the visual here? Well, think about it. What are autumn trees without fruit? Not a trick question again. They're twice dead. They're pulled up by the roots. What does this mean? What's the visual? Well, think about it. Spiritual health is godly fruit with deep anchored roots. Have you ever been in your yard and you go to pull up a weed or maybe a plant or a small tree, probably not an oak tree, but you yank on it very gently and it just comes right out of the ground? What happened? Well, it was dead. The roots did not take root. Something happened. Something got severed. Something got seared. Do you see the visual that Jude is painting with this imagery of what apostates really are in their spiritual lives? Three, raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame. Don't miss that. What's the visual here? Well, think about it. What are raging waves foaming up their own shame? What is that? Well, the sea represents the terror and the garbage that washed ashore. Think about that. They are foaming up their own shame. The sea is powerful. It is forceful. There is great terror, if you will, as the waves crash. And so many times you walk along a beach, and what do you see that's been washed up on the shore? A lot of trash. That's what's going on in the apostate's heart and their mind and their soul. They think they're moving forward, but they're diving deeper and deeper into rebellion. And they are foaming up like that sea as it washes onto the shore. All that foam of the water, they are foaming up their own garbage. They're foaming up their own trash. They are foaming up their own shame. And what's number four? Describing these apostates, as Jude says. Well, here it is. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness. How long? For a moment? No. For a day? Nope. Okay, a month? Uh-uh. All right, a year? Nope. What is it then? What does the Bible say? Forever. Wandering stars 
for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. What's the visual? Stars that are wandering are unreliable. Amen? Then you look up in there at the stars and you go, wait a minute, what's going on here? They're just wandering all around. They're unstable. And as they wander to and fro, they just float about with no purpose, with no guide, no compass, in the blackness and the darkness forever. See, that's why key number two is so important, and I want you to write it down right now in your notes. Key number two, write it down. Here it is, key number two. As I battle for the truth, I must be on my guard regarding the emptiness of apostates. Let me say that again, key number two. As I battle for the truth, I must be on my guard regarding the emptiness of apostates. What Jude is describing right there in that one section of 12b through 13, those two verses, he's showing the vanity is vanity, all is vanity when it comes to apostates. It's empty. And you and I must be on our guard. Again, warning, warning, warning. Are we contending or are we pretending? Because we've got to be on our guard for these apostates. But listen, both me and you have to be on our guard for the emptiness and the hard, calloused, no longer pliable flesh of a heart that now has become rebellious and a soul that no longer craves the Lord. And we see this being played out all over our country. In this mass epidemic, this mass phenomenon of cultural Christianity. You know, it's just like, hey, I'm going to the store, I'm going to church, and they're all just kind of mixed together. There's no difference. It's just kind of what you do, right? You just kind of go and do this, and there's no heart behind it. There's no transformation there's no real radical rescue. It's just kind of what you do. You grow up doing this, and your parents take you to church, and you're there Sunday morning and Sunday night, and you go to youth group, and then Wednesday night, and, and you're back for Tuesday night visitation, and then you go to church work day on Saturday, and a couple potlucks thrown in between there, and, and before you know it, you know, you're in RAs, and you're doing all the singing in the choir, and you become a deacon and a yoke fellow before that, and, and who knows, maybe even become a pastor. And the reality is this, you and I can become all of those things and do all those things. And here's the startling, harsh reality. Perhaps we can do those, and the reality is this, we can still be eternally lost. Because there was never a true heart change. It was just easy believism. Raise a hand, say a prayer, hocus pocus, do a cartwheel, sign the card, get dunked, and throw in a cartwheel down the aisle, and somehow we've been told we're saved. No, you get saved from something, and when you're truly saved from something, you get saved to someone, and his name is Jesus. 
And when you're saved from sin, you now get saved to him. And part of that equation is your life, my life is no longer our own. And we give our lives joyfully away to him as a living sacrifice to use for his good glory and his good pleasure and his good praise. That's why Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, he said these powerful words as he was training and discipling young Timothy to be prepared, to not be faint-hearted, to not enter this battle thinking that it's going to be rosy, eating bonbons, singing kumbaya as people shower you with praise and tell you how great you are in the ministry. No, here's what Paul told Timothy. He says this, but know this. In other words, listen up. Listen up. But know this. That in the last days, hmm, perilous times will come. What will it look like? Well, here's what the word says. Verse 2. For men will be lovers of themselves. Check. Lovers of money. Check. Boasters. Check. Proud. Check. Blasphemers. Check. Disobedient to parents. Check. Unthankful. Check. Unholy. Check. Unloving. Check. Unforgiving. Check. Slanderers, check. Without self-control, check. Brutal, check. Despisers of good, check. Traitors, check. Headstrong, check. Haughty, check. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, check. And oh, don't forget this, Paul says to Timothy, and Paul tells us, having a form of godliness but denying its power, check. That's going on as well. And here's Paul's admonition to Timothy and Paul's admonition to you and me today. He says this in the final part of that text. And from such people, turn away. Have nothing to do with those people that are walking in darkness. Does it mean that you don't pray for them? Of course not. Pray for them even more. Does it mean you don't love them? Of course not. Love them even more. But be very, very cautious. Because bad company corrupts. And Proverbs tells us that when you cast out the scoffer, when you cast out the arrogant person, when you cast out that apostate who is prideful, Proverbs says this, that contention and strife will cease. Be careful who you hang around with because we typically become those who we hang around with. Godly people, wisdom-filled people, oh, you become like them prayerfully. Unholy people, those that are walking in darkness and rebelling against God, you hang out long enough in that cesspool and that sewer and you'll begin to look like and smell like the sewer. So with that said, what is the fate of these apostates in the final part of this text? Well, look at your Bible, verses 14 and 15 of Jude. Here's what it says. Now Enoch 
the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of His saints. To do what? Verse 15, to execute judgment. Uh Uh-oh. On all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Did you notice the word all was used over and over and over? See, the visual here is that there's going to be nothing that's going to escape the eye of the Lord on that day of judgment. Now, who was Enoch? Well, Enoch was the seventh from Adam, and he prophesied about these men also. And and Enoch is mentioned in Genesis 5 and then also in Hebrews 11. And the phrase is used, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute, to carry out this judgment, literally to separate, to sentence with punishment. Don't miss that. On all, not some, but on all, to convict, in other words, to prove, to show whether it's true or false. When there's conviction and someone is convicted, it is said that they are guilty or not guilty if they're not convicted. Well, here, when there is a conviction, it is said that they are proved to be wrong. They are proved to be false. And don't miss this. All, again, who are ungodly. Simply this, they're wicked. They're not of the Lord. They may profess to be of the Lord, but the reality is, again, once time has exposed who they really are, the curtain gets pulled back, the charade is no more, and the wickedness gets revealed for what it really is. The heart is shown for what it really is. It's never been transformed. The heart has never been rescued. It's been a heart that's been dead. And even though it appeared to be true, it was really false. And then Jude uses the phrase, and all of the harsh things which ungodly sinners has spoken against Him, Jesus. All of the harsh things, the offensive things. Think about our Savior Jesus right now and all the harsh things He endured. He was mocked. He was spit upon. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, and all the other seas of the day hated Him. They hated him. He spoke truth and they spoke pride. He spoke truth and they spoke selfishness. He spoke truth and they wanted their own personal agenda to covet and to crave, to exalt self. They wanted to do everything they could to bring him down because the truth offends. But we also have to remember that it's the truth that will set you free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed forever. That's why I often think of Hebrews chapter 12, that verse 3, we looked at 1 and 2 earlier, but verse 3 is so powerful. And it simply says this, consider, ponder, consider and ponder Jesus 
who endured such hostility from sinners, such wicked insults, such offense verbally, physically, as he was beaten, as he was scourged, as he was mocked, as he was spit upon, as he was ridiculed, as he was nailed to a cross, and they lifted him high and they stretched him wide. Hebrews 12, 3 says, as we consider and ponder Jesus, who endured all the shame, do so unless we ourselves become weary and discouraged in our own souls. Isn't that amazing how that works? Well, I can be discouraged today, going through whatever. Might even be just a pity party. Anyone have pity parties? Man, we just have pity parties for ourselves, don't we? We waller, we got the Eeyore complex. We moan, but we kick the ground. Woe is me, nobody likes me. And then we look to Jesus. We ponder and consider what he went through. And doesn't that bring everything into proper calibration in our mind's eye? Well, what we have is not so bad, is it? Because what he endured physically and spiritually on our behalf, that as the word says that, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God through him. Boy, that's glorious, isn't it? I don't know what your day's been like. Maybe you got to church and maybe someone took your parking space. Maybe you walked into the foyer and your best friend didn't say hi to you. Maybe you got here in the auditorium and we're not singing your favorite song. I don't know what's going on today. Maybe the guy in Sunday school took the donut you wanted. And it's been a lousy, crummy, stinking day. I don't know what's going on in your world, but I know this, that no matter what happened yesterday and what's happening today and what's going to happen tomorrow in my life and your life will never compare to what Jesus had to endure for us that we might be brought into proper fellowship and union with our great God, our Heavenly Father. And that's why the last key, here it is, key number three, write it down. Key number three, as I battle for the truth, I must be on my guard regarding the condemnation of apostates. Key number three, write it down. As I battle for the truth, if you're serious about this today, in your home, in your business, on your team, at your church, if you're really serious, I must be on my guard regarding the condemnation of apostates. You know, there's some out there that have argued that we right now in our culture are in the midst of God's passive judgment. Perhaps that's the case. That could very well be. Regardless, we must be on our guard because we know this from the Word of God that He is storing up wrath for the day to come. There is going to be a day when He cuts that cord. When the wrath that is being pent up right now is going to be released with such fury that we've got to be on our guard. But just not for the apostates, but especially for our own souls. That if we're not like John Owen who said, be killing sin, it will be killing us. And there's going to be judgment. 
For the true believer listening right now, there is the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the line you want to be in. There's going to be judgment there. We're going to be judged not for salvation, but from the salvation. But there are rewards. There are rewards. The Bible is very clear. We're going to be judged for those rewards. And some people, I've heard them say this, well, I just want to get in. Really? That's all you want to do is just get in? Don't you want to be well-pleasing to the Lord as Paul commanded? Don't you want to be obedient to God as Scripture commands? That we just don't get saved and sit down. So glad I finally have my fire insurance. Now I can go live for myself. If that's you today who says, I'm going to get fire insurance and then go live for myself, I got some bad news for you today. You're not really saved. Because the person who is truly rescued, their eyes are now open. They were blind and now they see. They are now actually living for the first time. They were dead and now they're alive. And they don't want to go back to the old life. They don't want to live and be that man they don't even recognize in the mirror from that old dead life or that woman. They live the new life in Christ. They want to live every breath for His glory. They want to make a difference. They want to move the needle of the gospel to reach the nations. They want to shake the nations for God's glory. They want to make a difference. Not waste a moment. Because time is fleeting. Jesus is coming back. We all must be working until Jesus comes. Not sitting on our hands with this pseudo salvation that's not even real. Because there is a great white throne judgment. And that's the line you don't want to be in. Because in that line, there are not any do-overs. It's too late. Oh, brothers and sisters today, you don't want to be in the line of the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be there. Because as God's word says in Galatians, chapter 6, 7 and 8, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Now listen here. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit, capital S, will of the Spirit, capital S, reap everlasting life. Oh, I pray that's you and me today. I pray that we are walking in the Spirit because our lives have truly been rescued. That our lives are no longer our own. And yet the reality is that there are those who refuse. The heart is hardened. You say, how do you know? Well, Romans chapter 2, 5 through 6 says this. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, the refusal to repent is what that means. You are treasuring up for yourself. You are investing for yourself, is what the word means. Wrath in the day to come. And the revelation of the righteous judgment of God, 
who will render, don't miss this, dear one, don't miss this, who will render to each one according to his deeds. See, if you are not under the righteous royal blood of Jesus, you will pay the penalty. The hammer will come down hard. And as I said earlier, there are no do-overs. Wouldn't today be the day to get this straightened out in your life today? That's why the takeaway question is very simple. But write it down. Here it is, the takeaway question. Am I self-aware of the areas in my life where God needs to refine me? Ask yourself that question as I'm asking myself the same question right now. Am I self-aware? Am I not lying to myself? Am I being truthful and honest with myself? Are you doing the same thing? Of the areas in your life, of the areas in my life that I need to be refined in, that you need to be refined in by the grace and mercy and love of God. Because the reality is we're experts in having God refine someone else, amen? Man, we'll praise Jesus all day long, God. Yeah, fix her, fix him. But so many times we need to get on our face and cry out before the great God of the Bible and say, oh God, fix me. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me, oh God. That humility, that contrition of the heart, that fear of God. As the word says, on this one will I look. He who is humble in heart and who trembles at my word is what God's word says. Well, here's your action step. Here's what you can put into practice immediately. Action step, write it down. Starting right now. I will surrender all areas of my life to God for the purpose of refining me for His glory. Let me say that again. Starting right now, here's your action step. I will surrender all areas. I will surrender all areas, not some. Not give God the leftovers. Not give God seven of the eight rooms in your life or in your heart. and You want to keep the one to cohabitate with certain indwelling sin. No. We're starting right now, starting right now, I'm going to give him everything and say, God, you use me for your glory, for your praise, to go shake the nations for your glory, for your praise. And yet the reality is if right now you have the audacity to say that I don't have any areas in my life that need to be refined, uh, let me help you on one. Uh, you got a prideful heart. If I stand here today and say, I'm good, I don't need any help in any area, the biggest problem I have is a prideful heart. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and, and it's a constant process of sanctification. I need it. You need it. We haven't arrived yet. We're not fully glorified. And many times we're stumbling forward, I pray. Not backwards, but at least we're stumbling forward. 
actively seeking to surrender, actively seeking to be obedient, actively seeking to turn everything over to Jesus for Him to use for again His praise, His glory. Because the reality is that being good doesn't get you to heaven. Being good doesn't get you to heaven. Being redeemed by the blood of Jesus gets you to heaven. Listen, dear one, when all is said and done, we all ultimately have two options while on this earth. Two. We will either totally give our lives to Christ or we will keep our lives for our own glory and our own selfish purposes. And don't miss this, we will reap the consequences because as we just read from Galatians, do not be deceived, God is not mocked. Are you contending for the faith or are you pretending for the faith? Therefore, as Acts 3.19 says, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, repent, turn, You're heading one direction and you're heading towards sin. Turn around and go the opposite direction. Repent, it says. And be converted. Why? That your sins may be blotted out. That the royal righteous blood may cover you. The blood of Jesus Christ. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sins. But because of Jesus, that he shed his blood on Calvary, that He paid the price that you should have paid, that He died the death that you should have died because He stood in the gap for you, that He's covered it. As you give your life to Him through the grace of God by faith, and that verse 19 of Acts finishes and concludes by saying this, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Did you catch that? If you're looking to be refreshed, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for joy, the only place you can find that is in the presence of Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so I plead with you today, as we conclude this study in Jude, verses 12 through 15, if you do not truly know Jesus, and He truly does not know you, Oh, I pray today that today will be the day of salvation and that you will give Him your life to use for His glory and for your good. Father, we come before You today. Oh God, as we fall upon You today and cling to You, we need You on every level. There is not any area of our life that we can look at today and truthfully say that we got this. God, our sin was great, but your love was greater. Oh God, I pray that we can all truthfully leave here today shouting and proclaiming that through Jesus Christ, sin and death has lost its grip on us. Because God, as we cry out to you right now in humble obedience, And we ask ourselves, who owns us? I pray that every person listening today can truthfully say, Jesus is my Lord and my Master, and He owns me. 
as I joyfully give my life to him, day by day, moment by moment, because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. But oh God, oh God, we praise you today. Jesus washed it white as snow. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.